Praise the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. I know something about Mother's Day. Every single one of us in here have something in common. We all have a mom. And whether alive or, or, or with the Lord, uh, every, every single one of us, if you, don't, if you didn't have a mom, you would not be here. So and, uh, the, Lord, the Bible tells us to honor our parents, to be thankful that they gave us life. And today is a day that we honor motherhood, moms. Uh, moms are special, don't you think? I think so. I think that, you know, and, and I know there's a lot of people say, well, I don't, didn't have a good mom. Well, there's a good thing about not having a good mom. Uh, you can decide what kind of mom that you want to be if you're a lady or a, same for, a, for a, a dad. You know, if you didn't have a good father, you didn't have a good role model in your life, you know what you want in your life. So you don't get to choose your parents, but you get to choose what kind of parent you get to be. So there really is no excuses. So, but anyway, I want to talk to you today about, about getting dressed for church. We are the church. If you remember, in, in, in my family, I don't know about your family, but in my family, it was my mom that chose the clothes when you were little. One of the things that I didn't like about, about the, uh, we always had a, a, a women's retreat every year. And during that women's retreat, they were gone on a Sunday, which made uh, all the dads get their kids dressed for church. You have never seen so much chaos in your entire life. I mean, you know, and, and I, I learned after a while myself because I had at least one of my daughters, I won't mention Jessica's name, um, that liked to wear stripes and polka dots and checks all at the same time and and because her mom wasn't there I just let her wear what she wanted because I wanted her to be happy but moms moms have a way of dressing you for success and making sure that that you uh, had the right clothes remember when you were little and you had your your play clothes you had your school clothes and you had your church clothes church used to be a little bit different everybody had to dress up and I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that's bad. That's just the way it was. And, and you, only, you only wore your church clothes on Sundays. And after Sunday school, you would come home and you would change clothes and you'd put on your play clothes and you'd go play. And then you would hear that call in the afternoon that says, it's time to go to church. And you'd have to put your church clothes back on and go back to church. It was your best clothes, it was designated as you're going to look your best for the house of God. That's just the way it was. You know, it's amazing that clothing determines how most people view you. Have you ever noticed that? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's true. If, if, you, if you've walked into a restaurant, sometimes you'll see a sign that says, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Why is that? because they have a dress code there are i went to a college that had a dress code that you had to wear certain clothing and you couldn't go to class with a t-shirt or you couldn't go to class in your pajamas you had to dress a certain way to go to class and and you say well man that's so archaic but it does teach you something 
about discipline. Clothing. Your clothing determines how people view you. And it's like, it's like that, 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 uh, that great group of philosophers, ZZ Top. Everybody's crazy about a sharp-dressed man. So, but, you know, the same thing is true in, in the spiritual. Spiritual clothing we wear determines how victorious of a life we will live. The Bible, the Bible tells us that we need to put on Christ. And I want to talk to you today about a, a passage of Scripture found in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3. We're going to get there in a minute. Here's, here's Paul. He's writing to this church in Colossae. He had sent uh, Epaphras there, and, and it was Epaphras that actually had founded the church and started the church somewhere, uh, and Paul was writing this uh, letter uh, somewhere in the late 50s, maybe around 60 AD, we know in Colossae they had a major earthquake in the early to mid 60s. So that is not mentioned. So we can we can say with a surety that this letter was written somewhere around 59 to 60 AD. And Paul is, is speaking to this church, and he's speaking to this group of believers, and he is and he is addressing an issue in the church and that issue is just false teaching Paul is going in and he is talking to them and, and they had developed a syncretism syncretism is simply this it's it's the blending of various religions or aspects of religions Have you ever seen that 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 little bumper sticker that says coexist it has all the little symbols on it oh that's baloney I'm going to tell you why. You say, well, shouldn't everybody get along? Yes. But religion is one of those things. If you are a believer in Christ, you don't hate anybody. If you do, there's something wrong with the clothes you're wearing. But you also realize that, that Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come unto the Father but through me. And if you are a Christian you will share that truth with anybody and everybody that will allow you. I would say that of any religion in the world today. Those that are adamant followers of those religions will, will try to persuade people to come over to their side. Why? Because they want you to have what they perceive is truth. Christianity is the same, and, and syncretism, a blending in of everything else within the world. They, they were trying to put on clothes, worldly clothes, that just didn't fit. You ever try to put on something that doesn't fit? You know, and you like it, and, it, and you think, man, this is great, but you put it on, and that, and that coat makes you do this you know or you don't raise your hands because if you raise your hands your sleeves go up to here um, you know so you just kind of walk a certain way because you you want to wear that coat but in reality it just doesn't fit blending religions blending culture blending our ideas of and philosophies of man into religion into the church just doesn't fit never has never will Paul is addressing this issue and, and he talks about the supremacy of Christ and, and then he says, here's how I'm going to correct this. Here's how you can correct this in your life. He says, put on your church clothes. Don't you love that? 
evidently they were, they were wearing clothes that, that they weren't supposed to be wearing. And, and he said, put on your church clothes. And I was going to have my remote clicker, which is an amazing thing. It gives you so much power. You just feel like you can do anything with that. And I left it on my desk. So uh, I am... I am relying on my trustworthy sidekick back here. We're going we're gonna to read through this, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of it. Colossians 3, here's Paul addressing this issue uh, uh, of syncretism, and, and he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to be called to peace and be thankful. If you go back to that very first verse again, I, I want to take a look at this for a moment and see what Paul is trying to tell us. And, and Paul looks at the church and, and, he's, and he looks at him and says, listen, you need to understand that God chose you. You are a chosen people. Does, is Paul re referencing here that he selected you and you and you but not them? No, what he is referencing right here in this, in this one is the church in general that God chose the way in which people could address him and it is the church. The church is, is God's construct. God is the one that established the church and God is the one that determines what the church looks like, how we act, how we respond. And the reason why he does that is because he has a goal in mind. And the way that goal is to be lived out should draw us closer to him. We're not, we're not, getting, uh, we're not doing anything in, in the church that... that that doesn't, uh, doesn't draw us closer to God. But the reason why he does that is because God desires a change in us so we can be closer to him. He knows that if, if we want to be closer to him, if he wants to be closer to us, we must lay down a few things and pick up some other things. And, and some of those items that we need to put on are compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, love, all of those things that we need to be dressed in. The Bible says that we are not only chosen by God, but we are dearly loved. I want you to think about that for a moment. Dearly loved. Dearly loved. You know, your, your self-image of yourself will determine how successful you are in life. How is it or why is it that the adversary always comes into our lives and says, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, God hates you? You ever have that voice speak to you? You say, well, like, well, maybe every day. And the reason why is because the adversary does not want you to get a hold of this concept that God loves you. 
You are in the church. You're part of the bride of Christ. He went to the cross for you. He rose again for you. He is with you every single day on your behalf. The Bible says the mercies of the Lord are new and fresh every morning. And in Philippians 1, 6, it says we can be confident that he which has begun that good work in you is going to keep on working that until he returns. God is not going to give up on you. God's not going to fail you. And I, you say, well, I have done so many things that, that God is displeased with. Well, you know what? There are a lot of people that have done that, but there's a lot of people that have understood that no matter where I've gone, God is there, and God is gracious, and God will forgive. Don't worry about what you've done. Bring it to the Lord. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So don't worry about where you've, what you've done or where you've been. Realize that God has you. And the, the changes that he desires in us is because he wants us to be more like him. And as we're more like him, he can be closer to us. And the closer we are to him and the closer he is to us, the more we understand his love and his majesty and his glory. The reason why he wants us to be holy is because he is holy. You see, our unholiness, our unrighteousness hinders our relationship with him. Whether you're a Christian or not, if, if there are issues in your life, they will keep you from having a sincere, close, personal relationship with the creator of the heavens and the earth. And God desires not just those that, that are sinners to repent, but God's people to stay fresh. That's why John says, if you have sinned, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you will only confess it to him. See, purity, purity in, in motive, purity in action, purity in heart, purity in desire is what God is after. And the reason why he's after it is because he has this desire for you to be clothed with these benefits that he so freely gives. Let's, let's look at what, what they are. He says, you must, and this is amazing, the, what, what he gives us, this compassion, this kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and love, these are all attributes of God. They are the fruit of the Spirit that, that live and abide in us. And we can't fabricate them. We can't create them anytime we drew, do. The Bible says that our own righteousness looks like filthy rags, that we're ragged, we're tattered. But when we put on his righteousness, we are wearing beautiful robes and garments. It's his compassion. It's his kindness. It's his humility. It's his gentleness, his patience, his love. How do we put these on? We are the ones that put them on. He is the one that gives them to us, but we must put them on. If you're sitting there thinking... He's going to get me dressed. No, he's not. He's going to lay the clothes out there on your bed for you and say, put them on. And how does he, how does he show us 
these issues? How do we clothe ourselves? We're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. He goes on to say, if you'd go on to the next, next verse, he goes on to say, bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. What is he saying? He's saying, have pity, forgive those that are not wearing all of their clothes. If you have a brother or sister that doesn't have compassion, it doesn't mean they're right, but we bear with them. Why? Because Christ is bearing with them. Make an allowance for those that are not dressed in the, in the proper attire. We forgive those that offend us. We forget as Christ forgave. And then he goes on to say, remember, Christ forgave us. So I want to look at that, that very first one. And, and, and I, I won't keep you very long, but I want to look at that very first one. And he, when he talks about, I want you to be tender-hearted and have tender-hearted mercy. What is that? What is that? If you go back to that first verse again, please. It says compassion in the NIV. Uh, some of them translate it tender-hearted mercy or bowels of mercy. And, and what, what the term really means is that innermost part, that center of your emotional response in here. How are you responding in here some some of our cultures uh you know in 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 america we always talk about it's our heart some talk about their the bowels of mercy in their stomach some some cultures talk about the mind and it, but it's all referencing the same thing it's that center of emotional response that that each and every one of us has and he's saying i want you to put on compassion i want you to to allow your emotions to come from the heart from that inward part it's that deep feeling of love and, and concern that has to be expressed in action not in words but in deeds see sympathy says boy I wish I could help you compassion says I'm helping you now Sympathy says, I'm so sorry you're carrying that heavy load. But compassion says, I'm carrying it with you. Sympathy says, man, I'm sorry you're walking through that difficult time. But compassion says, I'm walking with you. See, there's a difference between feeling bad for somebody and taking action and doing something about it. 1 John 3.17 says this, if anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? That, that word love is the same one used here to, as reference to compassion, to tender-hearted mercy, to understanding the, the mercy of God. If you see somebody in need and you feel for them but don't act on it, John says, how can you say that the love of God dwells in you? Because the love of God, the tender-hearted mercy of God requires and demands action. It's more than just feeling 
for people. It's moving and being moved to the point that whatever you can do, you will do. Whatever you have, you will give. Whatever time that you have, you will devote. It's, it's seeing a need and acting on the need, and you're not acting on it to be seen or not acting on it to be heard, but you're acting because you are moved on the inside and says, they have a problem and I can help. Jesus, through the writings of Paul here, simply says, you've got to put on compassion, tender-hearted mercy. It's more than just feeling the pain. It's doing what you can to help. It, it, it's sad to say, but, but syncretism and, you know, uh, the blending of other philosophies always leads us away from the core of compassion. But I, I think it's, it's a great thing that, that we have um, uh, safety nets in our culture. Amen? Aren't you glad that, that if, if, if you lose your job, there's unemployment? If you... You know, there, there are different various aspects within our culture that are, that are designed to help those that are down for a moment to get them back on their feet and moving again. The sad part about that is we have institutionalized this need. We've allowed syncretism to interfere and how many times do we say, I don't need to help. I pay taxes. Just go get help over there. And God never really wanted it that way. If God would have wanted it that way, he would have set up the nation of Israel that way. God really wants us to roll up our sleeves and get involved. Because there's something amazing that happens when you do something out of the kindness and generosity and love of your heart, it transforms you. It connects you with humanity. It helps you understand what life is really about. It's not about this that we see or the things that we have. It's about helping one another and when you begin to help on on the physical you begin to understand the need of the spiritual and you'll be able to minister out of the abundance of your heart many times i think that uh, it, it's so easy to to that we can wear religion instead of a relationship with people and with god and and a good example of that is in Luke chapter 10 when you have the Samaritan. that We call it the good Samaritan. But Jesus was just giving a, a parable, a story, because he was talking with people that had allowed other things, institutions, uh, being trying to be so right amongst themselves and within their own uh, way they looked with everybody else that they failed to have compassion. And Jesus said, listen, he said there was a priest going by and saw a man that was, that was injured alongside the road but he was so busy doing his priestly duties he didn't have time to minister and, and the Levite the, the one that was a scribe the one that was working for the church and he came in and he said oh I, 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 I would like to help but I don't, I'm too busy to help and was Jesus 
downing all priests and scribes. No, he was not. What he was simply saying is, listen, you can become so religious that you forget to have compassion. And I love that story because the one group of people that the Jewish people despised the most was the Samaritans, those that were blended, that were half Jew, half Gentile. They despised them. They didn't like their religion. They didn't like anything about them. In fact, they would go all the way out of their way just to not even see them. And Jesus said it was the Samaritan that saw the man and had pity on him and went and bound his wounds and carried him to an inn and paid the innkeeper to take care of him. He says, and when I come back through, if there's anything else, I'll pay that too. What was Jesus trying to help the religious people of that day understand? To put on compassion. Compassion simply says you help whoever you can, whenever you can, with whatever you have. It's realizing that it's humanity. I, I, I loved yesterday and the walk for life. Yeah, and there, we had several people in our church that were there. Uh, I went for a while, wasn't able to walk with them, but I went for a while and, and I... I was overwhelmed by the, by the, uh, not just the number of people that were there marching for life. But you would see groups of people, groups of men that were sit, sitting or kneeling, praying, praying for those that, that were struggling with having an abortion or had had one. And, and, and to be honest, my friends, I, I know that you've, talk, you've watched the news and, and you have, you've seen what's happening now in, the, in Roe versus Wade and, and the abortion. And, and here's where the church needs to understand that, and I was so blessed yesterday to see this, that even if, even if they overturn the abortion and, and it goes to the states, it's not a time to say, look, we won, we won, we won. It's a time to roll up our sleeves and begin to minister to those that are hurting and offer them other choices besides the ones that they have been given. It's not to point fingers. It's not to do anything but to have compassion and to help. Mm. That was a free public service announcement. Religion, uh, being religious, can, can get us. You know, and he, he goes on to say to have compassion on others. You know, kind of think about them. Remember the prodigal son in Luke 15, where the younger son he has two sons, and the younger son comes up to the dad and says, "Dad, give me, give me my inheritance." And so he he gives him his inheritance. And when do you normally receive your inheritance? Isn't it after your family passes away? So in reality, he was saying, Dad, I don't really care if you live or die. I want what's mine now. And it's, it's interesting. Here, I, I never really paid attention to this, but the scripture says in Luke 15 that the father divided his inheritance to both of his sons at that time. 
The younger one had his, the older one had his. The older one stayed and, and worked and served and, and, and developed, but he was working and developing his own future. The young one went away and, 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 and wasted his money, blew it at the casinos. Wasted it on riotous living. And found himself in, in the middle of a famine and he was, he was so hungry that he was feeding pigs. And if you remember in scripture that, that Jewish people weren't have, shouldn't have anything to do with pigs. He was, do, he was ma- trying to make a living, trying to eat the things that were detestable to the Jewish people. And he woke up and said, the servants in my father's house have it better than me. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against God and I've sinned against you. And the son makes his way back. And the Bible says that the father was looking. And when his son came back, he saw him and said, there's my son. And ran to meet him in his old, tattered clothes and hugged him and called his servants and said, go get the best robe in the house because he's my son and go slay the fatted calf because my son, which was dead, is now alive. And they began to rejoice and they put the ring of of the family emblem on his finger and they were rejoicing. And you say, man, that that display is the the father's love, that, that compassion. It does. The older brother, which had been faithful the whole time, heard the noise and the commotion and asked what it was about and 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 they said your your brother has come home and we're celebrating and and he refused to go in the house his father had to come out to him isn't that a sad commentary what jesus was trying to help us in the story of the prodigal is simply this we have to have compassion on one another even those that have done stupid things even though those that that and and all of us know all of us have family members all of us have friends let's be real you're you're thinking of people right now are you not and you're thinking Oh man, they 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 messed up that holiday. They messed up this. They messed up that. And to be honest, sometimes it's it's kind of like we're we're like the uh, the older brother, aren't we? It's like we've been here faithful. We've been holding down the fort. We've been doing everything, and and they they think they can waltz back in and do whatever they please. And yet, the father said, "Son." You've been here and you've enjoyed the blessings the whole time. We're just rejoicing that your brother, which was lost, has come back. Compassion, tender-hearted mercy, simply says, I'm not going to just feel what you're walking through. I'm going to help. I'm not going to just feel bad that you have a heavy load. I'm going to help carry that heavy load. I am not just going to say 
words of of platitudes that will make you feel better, but I am going to demonstrate my love by my action. Paul, dealing with the church in Colossae, simply said, if you want to, to deal with the issues in life, you've got to put on your church clothes. And the very first garment you have to wear is compassion. Would you stand with me? As our praise team comes back, I was reading a story of a young boy, 12 years old, was uh, walking home from school and noticed this other boy had tripped and fallen and he had dropped his books, he had dropped a, a, a magnifying glass, he had some binoculars, he had a variety of different things and they kind of spilled all over the place and, and so he helped him pick him up and then uh, they introduced themselves and he said, yeah, my name, my name is, is Jim and the other name was Mark and so Mark helped him carry his stuff home and Jim said, hey, do you want to come in and uh, watch some cartoons or whatever for a while and, and Mark said, sure, I'll, uh, I'll come in and they stayed for a while. Mark stayed for a while, then went home. And, and Mark saw Jim throughout junior high. Occasionally from here or there, they would eat lunch together or maybe they'd hang out together a little bit after school. Then they went on through high school together. And at their senior year, right before graduation, uh, Jim said, Mark, do you, do you remember that day that you helped me pick up all of my stuff? that day that we met he said yeah I remember that he said do you ever wonder why I had all that stuff with me and Mark said no I I never really thought of it and Jim said I'd cleaned out my locker because I had decided to take my life that day and I didn't want to leave a mess for anybody else but your kindness And your actions gave me a reason to live. See, having compassion, doing something about the issues that you see around you, you may never understand the benefit to anybody else, but the Lord does. This Mother's Day, let's put on compassion. Let's not just see needs, but let's act on them. Let's show that kindness and love through demonstration and deed. Amen. Can we do that? Lord, we thank you.